Welcome back, everyone, to the fifth episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your co-host, Tay Seth, joined by Arjun Menon. Have an exciting show today. We'll be ranking quarterbacks either in their first, second, or third year in the league. So that's the 2020, 2021, and 2022 draft classes. And then after that, we'll be joined by Ben Solak from The Ringer and Timo Riske from PFF to expand more on these topics. Arjun, welcome back to America. How's everything going? It's going good. Um, I'm back. Uh, in California, I'm happy to be back. Um, really enjoyed the UK. You know, shout out Britain and Scotland for being such such a good host. Um, I have to say that, like, while I was in the UK, I, like there were times I just could not stop thinking about getting back to work at, at, with PFF, just because of all the cool stuff we're building over there. Um, you know, between me, Judah, Forking, and, and Haley English as the R and D interns. So glad to be back and, and glad to get back in the swing of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's it's good to to have you back here, and you know I'm excited to do the show today and everything. When when you were at Wimbledon, was there any like any tennis analytics like ideas that that popped into your head? I mean, I was thinking about win probability. Like mm-hmm. the the one match we went to was a doubles match, and it was actually a USA dude, an Indian dude, uh, with a British dude, and they were going up going up against two Australians, and they were up 2-0 in the sets. And then they blew it. It was they blew it like because they lost the third set on on a tie break. So the whole time I was like, okay, it's probably like a ninety eight percent win probability, like at during the tie break, and they choked the whole thing. So you know, Rajiv Ram is the Indian dude's name who uh, was uh, representing USA. So doing USA proud, Rajiv. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's cool. I know it's, it's it's always good to see to see different stuff posted like on Twitter and stuff. Like there are there are a lot of cool Wimbledon like data viz post that that i saw and everything but um yeah you know if we want to jump into to to quarterback rankings here like so just to just to lay it out we'll be ranking quarterbacks that have you know all played two or less years in the nfl so the 2020 class includes joe burrow tua justin herbert and jalen hurts 2021 class has the five quarterbacks trevor lawrence zach wilson trey lance justin fields and mac jones and then the most recent class uh, we're just going to do Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, and Desmond Ritter. So we'll we'll rank all of those quarterbacks and and kind of go back and forth and talk about them. And so um, you know didn't didn't share this ahead of time. So you know let's jump into it. Arjun, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, who do you have as as the number one quarterback from those three draft classes right now? Yeah, my number one um, has to be Justin Herbert. I think you know I, I know I'm a Chargers fan, but even bias aside, I think there's a lot of data points that would back up why Justin Herbert should be number one in two years. He's pretty much broken every statistical uh, rank or every statistical record, whether it's counting stats or like efficiency stats when it comes to first and second or quarterbacks two years into their career. Even this past year, he was top five in almost every major statistical category, PFF grade, PFF war, PFF war per game, EPA per play um, success rate. I think he, is, is such a good quarterback in the way that he can attack different parts of the field. And, you know, his, his value to the chargers is, is kind of unmatched. So that's why I have him at number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I definitely agree with you. I, I also have Justin Herbert as, as number one. And, you know, I think, I think like it, it shouldn't be that much of a debate that he's a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, You know, with the, the ESPN article yesterday that, showed what the league executives think. I guess they don't have as much of a Justin Herbert, um, you know, up 
uprising, but, you know, I, th- I think, I think he should be there right now. And, you know, in, in my uh, quarterback composite score that I, I try to update every week uh, through the season, it, which combines EPA per play accuracy rate over expected and PFF grade, Justin Herbert was the number two quarterback in the entire league right last year behind Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, the fact that he was, was able to play that well, he was the only quarterback in the top 10, not to make the playoffs. And he still was able to rank top five in PFF war, which includes regular season and playoffs is just kind of a testament to, to how good he was because he didn't get some of the extra games that like Stafford or Burrow or uh, Brady got, but was still able to rank very highly in, in all those metrics. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's the number one for, for us right there. Um, who do you have at, at number two then out of, out of these young quarterbacks? Yeah. At number two, I have Joe Burrow. Um, I think I'm kind of known now on Twitter uh, by Bengals fans as like the anti-Burrow guy, but I promise you, like, I, I don't hate Joe Burrow. I, 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 I just don't think he's better than Justin Herbert. And, you know, there's some data points obviously that would kind of support him support this like my my kind of like final thoughts about joe burrow like i think he's a very good quarterback like i think he's definitely a tier two quarterback and he's the type of quarterback that he could win a super bowl on when he's on his rookie deal now after that's a little bit muddy to me but he, he proved that you could get to the super bowl with him on a rookie deal but i don't think he's elite yet when it comes to accuracy there may not be a more accurate quarterback in the nfl than joe burrow but I think there are some red flags and some questions that he still needs to answer heading into year three that prevents him from being elite. And for the sake of this episode, he's not better than Justin Herbert yet. I think he still struggled versus teams that play a lot of too high and he takes a lot of sacks. And, you know, our, our friend Eric Eager posted that Joe Burrow had the second highest pressure to sack ratio in the NFL last year, only behind Baker Mayfield. I think statistically burrow shows up very very well in yardage based stats like yards per attempt or yards per completion but once you use efficiency stats like epa which kind of filter in sacks and and give more of a weight to sacks you can start seeing him drop from like the top three to like fringe top 10 when you include his entire body of work including the playoffs and i think him having such a good supporting cast also helped his production as well i'm not saying all his production came from chase and higgins he obviously had to get the ball to them but having two receivers that ranked in like the top 10 and catch rate over expected per next gen stats. I mean, that's pretty significant. So me, me not calling him elite doesn't equate to me calling him a bad quarterback. Cause he's not a bad quarterback. He's a very good quarterback, but I just don't think he's elite yet, but he's still a firmly a tier two quarterback and he's the second best quarterback from the past three draft classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also had Barrow at number two. And, you know, your point about him being the most accurate quarterback in the league is backed up by data. Uh, accuracy rate over expected last year shows him at a plus 6% mark, which was first in the league. And he ranked pretty highly in that his rookie year as well. Um, I'm, I'm with you there where I think he's he is a quarterback you can win with on a rookie contract. But, you know, so was Jared Goff when in, in 2018, when when the Rams made the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's 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 very interesting to 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 kind of see how he's going to answer a lot of the questions this year. I, I would like for him to be more efficient instead of explosive. Um, you know, the Bengals yeah. were, were overly reliant on explosive plays last year, but their success rate was worse than the, the Jaguars on offense. So, you know, the team that made the Super Bowl ended up having basically the same success rate as the team that picked number one overall. And so that kind of shows you like what you need to know about, you know, his ability to just 
either go for the explosive player, take a sack, can't be like his only two options. Like, like you needs to, you need to take your, your checkdowns more, your shorter passes more. And uh, the thing about a supporting cast is really interesting. It's a double-edged sword because his offensive line was really bad last year. And, you know, we saw that multiple times pop up, but you're also throwing to probably the best receiver trio in the league, just, just straight up wide receivers. And I think he benefited a lot from that. And he's a good quarterback to have these types of receivers because of how accurate he is. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, like, I know I, I've kind of like given um, him a lot of slack for like not really performing in the playoffs. Like I, and I, I do give credit where it's due, like in the regular season, Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in the clutch, like in the clutch, no, only one quarterback had a higher win probability added in the fun in the final four minutes of every game. And, and Joe Burrow was second. Can you guess who was number one? Justin Herbert. Oh, Justin that's Herbert. yeah. Just, yeah. Justin Herbert. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm not saying that that specific like win probability added in the final four minutes is like this is this big stat. You know that it's it's a stat to kind of like um, talk about like how clutch a quarterback is. Joe Burrow is very clutch in the regular season. I don't think he, I don't think he helped the Bengals as much in the playoffs that people say he did. Did he help them like in general? Yes, he did. So I think some people overweight um, you know his impact on the Bengals in the playoffs, but as a whole, he's a very good quarterback. And, you know, it, it, he's definitely someone that um, deserves to get, you know, a good chunk of money that comes his way um, when it comes to contract time. Um, so let's move on to number three. For me, number three, I have Trevor Lawrence. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one because it's kind of the talk we had with Ben Solak and Timo, which is like, how long do we hold on to our draft priors? Which is Trevor was not a good, not as good as a, of a quarterback as other, you know, like Mac Jones from that rookie class. But he was the number one overall pick for a reason. And to quote Deontay Lee, formerly of PFF and now with The Athletic, Trevor was probably the most unfuckable prospect to come out of college since like Andrew Luck. And somehow Urban Meyer made that a, almost made that a reality. Now, there's some things to, you know, obviously a lot of the stats that we look at to evaluate quarterbacks shines uh, teal on a bad light, pretty much like bottom 10 in, or bottom seven in EPA per play, bottom seven in success rate not a very high PFF grade, but then, you know, it's kind of a lot of, you're kind of basing your stuff off some of the film that has been shown, you know, our friend Josiah Clark at Sharp Clark on Twitter, he had a really good thread that I'm, I'm really glad for him that it blew up and got to the right people showing like a lot of the stuff that happened to Lawrence wasn't his fault. So I think with an improved coaching staff, some improved weapons, I think he should be back to the player that we expected him to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I would also have Trevor Lawrence as as the the third quarterback um out of these these last couple of draft classes and you know I think I I made this metric for for PFF that ended up not getting used for anything but it, it still gave some pretty useful information and it was it was trying to create an expected points in a game based on you know how how well the offensive line graded uh the receiver grades the non quarterback rushing EPA. And Trevor Lawrence had the worst supporting cast of any quarterback since 2014, which is when with what year the metric went back to. So he literally had no chance to to succeed last year. And I I think with an average quarterback, the the Jaguars would have scored like between 11 to 13 points a game was was kind of what the metric spit out. So you know there there was just no no possible way for for him to to carry that team last year. But you know I think because of their additions this year, getting Doug Peterson in who might be a career changer for him. 
Um, you know, John Shipley, who who covers the the Jaguars, said like this will be like the career defining moment for Trevor Lawrence or something that really like does a 180 on how his NFL career has been going is is getting Doug Peterson in there, adding, you know, a bunch of different weapons either on the offensive line or um or kind of with, you know, the the wide receivers that they signed and stuff like he he should be able to do better this year. And, you know, you have to stick with your draft priors at this stage, one year into everything when he didn't really have much of a chance. So Trevor Lawrence is, is still up there. And, and, you know, this might be a hot take, but, the, you know, since we're just doing this for next year, I would take Joe Burrow over Trevor Lawrence. But, you know, for the next five years, I, I would lean Trevor Lawrence, but it's, it's very close between those two. Um, you know, just just that that arm talent and the processing and everything he showed coming out of Clemson is is very special. And I think he should be able to get that back soon. Well, I'm glad you're not the only one who leans Trevor Lawrence over Joe Burrow, because I do. I remember that. I, I don't know if you remember. I sent this one tweet out um, when Aaron Rodgers was like the trade rumors to Denver was heating up. And I was like, why would Aaron Rodgers want to come to the AFC when these are the quarterbacks? And I listed Trevor Lawrence and now Joe Burrow, you know, just kind of as a joke, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> moving on to number four, I have Mac Jones. Um, I don't think it should be a, too much of a surprise. Uh, you know, Jones had a really good rookie season relative to the expectations, um, including the playoffs ranked 10th in adjusted EPA per play. Um, I thought it was interesting how he came from a Saban uh, team in Alabama and then he goes to Belichick, you know, two, two um, coaches who pretty much resemble a lot of similar things in the way they run their teams. Um, I don't think he was really asked to do a whole lot with the Patriots. Like the Patriots had one of the lowest um, early down pass rates, one of the lowest uh, pass rates over expect they had a negative pass rate over expectation. So he wasn't asked to do a whole lot, but when he was asked to do, you know, when he was asked to perform, I think he did well enough. He doesn't really have a number one option to throw to, you know, like Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers are two very good number two options, but they aren't number one options. But I think, I think that point also goes to like Belichick, I think is building um, his receiving core around giving a lot of solid options instead of focusing on like getting like, like a Devonte Adams or like a top option on the table. So for Mac, I think, you know, he's a Kirk. He, you're not, you're probably not going to win with him if you pay him like 33, $35 million a year. But based on his production, you can definitely, you know, make some noise in the regular season and potentially in the playoffs um, with him on a rookie deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with Mac Jones being at fourth. And I think, yeah, the receiving core part is really interesting because, you know, some of the quarterbacks that we'll talk about later on, like, the, the Dolphins are are trading for Tyree Kill because, you know, passing offense is the most important thing in the NFL right now. And like th they don't trust their quarterback to, to do the passing offense on his own. So you have to get an explosive receiver. The Eagles are trading for A.J. Brown because, you know, like the the way that, you know, Hertz was kind of disrespected in that game against the Bucs in the playoff game. Like they have to get someone that can open up the middle of the field for them. But the Patriots are are understanding that Mac Jones came in last year, picked up the offense quick. Uh, you know, was able to play at a at an NFL level very, very quickly, like very early on into his career. So he he definitely showed showed promise there. So they don't necessarily need to get him uh, a, a true number one receiver, which is you know not what they did this offseason because they I think they trust him. He's in the he's in the like the line between they trust him enough to keep their passing offense above average, but they don't trust him to like 
cook and throw like, you know, 40, 50 times a game because like he doesn't have the arm to do that. So he, he's kind of settled in that, you know, 10 through 16 range among quarterbacks, which, you know, compared to these, these younger quarterbacks right now is pretty good. And that's why we both have him as fourth, but you know, it's, it's, it, it might not be enough to, to go on a playoff run with, um, you know, unless you have like a, a top roster in the league. Yeah. Um, moving on to, to number five, I have Jalen Hurts. Um, it's interesting because like Hurts is like, you're definitely, you're probably not going to win a Super Bowl with him after he gets, you know, more than a rookie deal. He's definitely a rookie deal quarterback, but it, I, I think it's cool that the Eagles are like building around him for now, but they're not going all in. I think it's a good approach by them. You know, Hurts as, as a whole, he's pretty much a league average quarterback. He ranked, uh, ranked 16th in EPA per play ranked 18th in PFF pass grade, which ironically was one higher than Carson Wentz. Um, as, as a runner, he's, you know, very dangerous. He had, he had the second highest PFF rush grade among all, um, I, I didn't, I should have calculated his EPA per rush, but uh, in terms of rush grade, second highest only behind Josh Allen, but as a passer, he's not very, that he's not that good. His decision-making is, is pretty poor. He, he had the fifth highest um, turnover worthy play rate among all quarterbacks in the NFL last year. And I, I just don't think he, he's able to attack all parts of the field effectively to where defenses are scared of him. Now I do agree. That's why they traded for AJ Brown because they also didn't have receivers that could attack the deep part and intermediate parts of the field, because you're not going to send skinny Devonte Smith on these in-breaking routes when he's going to get popped right by like a Michael Parsons coming across the middle. So I think the Eagles are doing a good job to like try and surround him with weapons and they should be trying to maximize his rookie deal because once that's up, they probably have to go find another option and they do have the resources to do that. But, but you know, for the sake of this ranking, I have him at fifth because he does add a lot of value as a rusher, but as a passer, there's a lot to be desired. And I think the Eagles are still trying to find out how much they can maximize that passing upside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, I, I agree with that. I've, I've Jalen Hurts fifth as well. And yeah, I think he is in that middle tier. You know, he was, he was basically an exactly average quarterback last season. And I think that trade where the Eagles, uh, you know, traded with the saints and picked up an extra first round pick for next year is kind of a signal that they want to do something with, you know, that, that by packaging first round picks next year, because they should be in, you know, either playoff contention or the playoffs. So they won't be picking high enough take one of the high-end quarterbacks. So maybe they package those picks and move up and get them. Maybe there's a disgruntled quarterback somewhere else in the league. That's pretty good. Like a Kyler Murray that they can also pick up there as well. And like that, that was a big, like, you know, moment for me when I realized like Jalen Hurts probably isn't going to stick around long-term for the Eagles, but at least they're trying to make it work with, you know, they have, they have a top three offensive line, which helps them a lot. And he had a very high time to throw last year. So that's going to have to come down this year because AJ Brown is going to run those quick in breakers that, you know, go five yards in the air, but like 10 yards after catch. So I I think it'll, I think he, I think Jalen Hurts is going to be like the most interesting quarterback to, to kind of watch his development this year, because there's no reason for him not to be good and not to rank top 12 in EPA per play. But if he doesn't do that, then his, his time in Philly is going to be done. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's the top five, you know, we have the same one, uh, uh, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts. Um, you, who'd you have at, at number six? That's where I think, I think things could get interesting. Yeah, I think I'm going to surprise you here. Um, I have Trey Lance. Now, 
now look this goes this is this feels kind of anti-analytics but i promise you like i have a reasoning behind it is there do you think there's any coordinator in the league that schemes stuff open for their quarterbacks better than kyle shanahan no i think i think shanahan's the best play caller in the league yeah yeah so i think right off the bat lance is already going to be in a very good situation with his play caller and he already has one of the best weapon groups in the nfl plus a pretty good offensive line now he didn't really produce that much in year one he i think he had like about like a 0.4 or 0.04 epa per play through the air not a very large sample size though you know he he only threw the ball um about like 120 times and a lot of this time a lot of the stuff he did early in the season was in the red zone now me and judah from pff created kind of like the the idea of like perfectly covered plays and, and haley of course as well we created perfectly covered plays trey lance not only had the highest epa per play against perfectly covered plays among all rookies he had the highest epa per play against perfectly covered plays among all play all quarterbacks including patrick mahomes again very very small sample size i'll admit that but i think it it, it speaks to the type of upside and what his range of outcomes could be in this offense that even when shanahan isn't scheming stuff open for him even when the defense takes away the crosser coming across the middle or or um the defense you know kind of takes away his number one number two and number three option he showed the ability in limited snaps to make something out of nothing at a level that really no one did this past year or this past three years so you combine the easy stuff he's going to get with the stuff he can do outside of the pocket and when the play breaks down i think he has the that ability to take that next step and again for me this is a lot of projection and this is from me chasing his tail end which i know which is why i probably know you don't have him at number six mm -hmm. yeah no i i have him at number eight um and you know i i definitely understand the the tail end and like you know with the tools and his rushing ability like he can he could hit that and, and be like a top eight quarterback in the league but i don't know i just i just don't trust trey lance right now um, you know, I hope he proves me wrong because the league would be better for it. But, you know, he had a he had a zero percent completion percentage over expected coming out of college, which was the lowest for his class. Um, you know, and and this is going up against FCS competition when you're at a when you're at an FCS dynasty, you should be completing more passes than what's expected of a model that's trained on mostly FBS quarterbacks and division one quarterbacks, right? So you know, it's that's okay because he, he's supposed to be raw. Um, but, you know, it's it's just tough for me because Kyle Shanahan as a play caller is the best play caller in the league, like we just mentioned. But he does a good job of scheming open that that first option and just having a quarterback with a quick, quick release that can just hit that option accurately to get the yards after catch because accuracy is a huge part of yards after catch. And Trey Lance isn't accurate. He wasn't accurate in college. He wasn't super accurate last year in, in his limited sample size. And so that's why I just don't trust his ability to be, you know, maximize Shanahan's offense, like someone like uh, a Mac Jones or, you know, a, um, a Justin Fields, I thought maybe would fit his offense better because they were more accurate coming out of college. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to be tough for me to, to trust Trey Lance and, you know, especially the, the bad is going to be really bad for him. Like the good will be good, 
the bad is going to be really bad. And that can really, you know, hurt your offense when it's schemed up well is if they're missing wide open receivers, you know, frequently throughout the season and in back-to-back games or, or stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Totally. understand that. And what the Niners do with Lance is going to be one of the biggest miss. Like, do you think there's a chance the Niners come out and, and Lance just has like a 2018 Mahomes season where it's like a completely new offense because of the untapped limitate or the untapped um, uh, arm talent that Lance has over Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. I could, I could definitely see the the scheme changing, but like the, the roots being the same, but I don't think he reaches 2018 Mahomes because it's just that that's like almost impossible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably, of- yeah. Yeah, of, of Lance's caliber, but yeah, no, that's true. Like, I don't, I don't know if the league is necessarily ready for you know all the inverted veer and read option mm-hmm. stuff, and you know all the all the passing game stuff you can do with with a, a mobile quarterback in in Shanahan scheme. Yeah. Okay, so um, my next one at number seven, I have Justin Fields. Um, so so Fields is an interesting one. He statistically was kind of terrible. He ranked only ahead of Zach Wilson in EPA per play. He had the third lowest success rate among all quarterbacks. Um, he had, uh, you know, he, with with Fields, I think you're getting, you're kind of, you're, you're getting a lot of variance last year. He was a quarterback that took a lot of risks, right? He ranked pretty much in the top 10 in turnover worthy play rate, but he also had the third highest big time throw rate. And that's just the type of quarterback that you're going to get with him, which is like, he's going to be able to attack the deep parts of the field and, and take some of those deep shots that other quarterbacks can't, but he also made a lot of boneheaded mistakes. And I think part of that is just rookie development. Um, you know, I think uh, this ranking is also holding on to some of the draft priors that I had prior to the, uh, to the last year. Um, you know, one of my favorite articles you wrote, which was your first one for PFF, which is like, which was completion percentage over expected and how it kind of, it seemed to matter a little, how it seemed to matter a little bit, for projecting NFL play and fields, you know, showed up very, very highly in that. Um, another stat, you know, going for feel like going for fields way is no quarterback had a lower expected completion percentage than fields, which means like Matt Nagy wasn't really putting him in good positions to succeed or for field on like, this could be a fields problem. He just wasn't putting himself in good positions to succeed with the players he was targeting at, you know, the route depth or, or the air yards he was throwing um, the down and distance, all of that. So, it's a mix of both worlds. I think this this is a little bit holding on the draft priors, but I do think he offers some of the upside that that makes him better than some of the other qu- quarterbacks on this list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 glad you mentioned the draft prize. I had I had Fields at number six, so one spot higher than you, and that's completely off my draft priors. I I loved Justin Fields coming out of college. I had him as the QB two in the 2021 draft cycle. Um, not I don't think it was a hot take at the time. But, you know, he didn't do anything his rookie season to really back up that that draft prior. But, um, you know, I think I, I, I think like with with kind of a new staff in there, I don't know if Nagy was necessarily like awful, but he wasn't helping. And, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of complaints about the Bears hiring a defensive minded head coach. But I think that's fine because. uh, the head coach isn't the only person that talks to the quarterback, right? Like as long as you're getting new ideas in there, you know, we saw Justin Herbert take a step up with Brandon Staley last year, even though Staley was a defensive minded head coach. And, you know, I think, I think field just isn't given much of a chance this year with the bears offensive line, probably being bottom 10 and them losing Allen Robinson, who didn't play last year or didn't play well last year, but was like really the only, you know, receiving option I would like trust on this team to, 
be a wide receiver one or two elsewhere in the league. But I, if he's, if he's as good as I thought he was coming out of college, then he should be able to make the bears offense look competent. And if he can get that to slightly below average or something, then that's really indicative of fields being, you know, ranked, you know, number six amongst these, uh, these young quarterbacks in the league right now. Yeah. I, and again, great article that you wrote for PFF last year, go check it out listeners. If you haven't already. Um, okay. Number eight, I got Tua. Uh, Tua, Tua is an interesting one because I think this is more, this is less about production and more about like, this is, for me, this is more about how the Dolphins offense had to build their offense around him and how bad the offense was that they had to build around him. When you build an entire offense out of RPOs, which they did admit at times last year that like Tua had to be in an RPO style offense because that's what fit him. If you're throwing five yard, you know, four yard routes or throws every single time, like, and that's the type of offense you have to run with this quarterback. He's probably not a good quarterback. And, you know, Tua wasn't that good of a quarterback. Um, ranked 21st in, in EPA per play, one right above Baker Mayfield. Um, he had a PFF passing grade of 67.3, fourth highest turnover worthy play rate in the NFL last year, or third if you increase the, uh, the parameters a little bit. So not only was he in one of the like easier or like just an RPO style offense, he wasn't making good decisions on top of that. And so now the Dolphins are in the Eagles position where like they're trying to evaluate Tua by giving him all these weapons. But the problem is if if he doesn't work out, you're stuck with Tyreek's contract. You're stuck with you're gonna have to pay Waddle at some point. And I think overall, like he he's just not the type of quarterback you can win with even on a rookie deal because I just don't I don't think he he offers the type of um, upside in terms of like how you can attack different parts of the field and the type of stuff you can scheme open for him because you know he hasn't really shown the the tendency to hit hit um, receivers down the field which is why another reason they had to trade Devontae Parker because he just didn't fit with Tua and the type of offense they're going to run yeah oh yeah no that that was great you covered you covered everything about Tua. I had two at seven so again one spot ahead there and then and you know I had Trey Lance two spots lower than you had him but yeah my thing about Tua is like He's accurate, but not, not really good at anything else. Um, you know, 2% accuracy rate over expected last year, which was good. You know, I think it'll be cool to see uh, an offense with that much speed with, with Waddle and uh, Tyreek Hill, but he's just at the end of the day, he's, he's not going to, he's not going to take you, you know, into the, into the playoffs or probably win you a playoff game, but that's okay because, you know, it, I think, I think like he was good in, in college before his hip injury. And it seems like he's just lost some velocity on his, his ball since that injury. And it's, it's just tough for a shorter quarterback to overcome multiple injuries um, since they're already kind of held back. And because of the, some of the limitations that they have where they can't throw over the middle of the field uh, when they're banged up, they don't get as much, um, you know, zip on their ball. And he's just kind of had all of that come together uh, in Miami. And that's why it hasn't worked out so far and, and probably won't work out for the future where they're handing him a contract uh, in a couple of years. Yeah, I agree. Um, moving on to number nine, I believe it's gonna be it's gonna be Zach Wilson, but I feel like we should have Zach Wilson at number one after the the crap that went down the other day with with him and the his mom's best friend. Um, but but like, okay, I, I really just don't know what to say for Wilson because Wait, let's just let's just let's let's just get our jokes out about Zach Wilson now. So I mean, I think I think what he did was 
was, uh, you know, a legit culture changer that can, that can really bond this locker room together. Like no one's going to care. No one in Denver cares about Russell Wilson saying like Bronco country, let's ride. Like, okay. That's, that's, yeah. that's stupid. It's corny. What I like, I'm like, not even joking. Like what Zach Wilson did, uh, this past week is like the, like the locker room's going to go crazy over that. Like when he, when he gets in there, like people are going to be, people are going to be jumping on him. They're going to be high-fiving him. He's going to have to do the George Costanza where he puts his, his gloves and or his hands into oven mitts or whatever to, to make sure that they're ready for, for training camp and everything, because like people are going to really celebrate Zach Wilson, that locker room because of what's come out. Yeah, I, I know. It's, I don't know if you have any, any moms listening to this, um, but you know, like we're, we're college kids. Like he's pretty much a college kid, like, you know, a, a football or a guy in general, or like a younger guy, like sleeping with a mom, like that's like, it isn't, or sleeping with like, an older woman in general that's kind of like legendary status for for most people right and so um you know like you said it's gonna it's like it's gonna go over pretty well in the locker room um and i you know maybe it helps the team chemistry a little bit now but maybe maybe players don't bring their moms or wives into the uh into the locker room anymore yeah, no, now that now that kind of like the 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 thing is out on Zach Wilson, which is really funny because his ex-girlfriend put or it's like replied to that guy on Instagram with that message thinking that like people would hate on Zach Wilson for for like what he did. Yeah. And it it just it was the you know it was the exact opposite. Like like the the all of Sunday was just like meme after meme about Zach Wilson. Um, young gravy has, you know, all the money, all the fame you could ask for. He's always chasing after moms. Like that's kind of his thing. Yeah. Young gravy is probably jealous of Zach Wilson right now, which is like crazy to think about. Um, you know, a 20, 23 year old kid is, is making one of like the, the biggest music stars jealous. So it's like all of those things is, uh, is making Zach Wilson really, really special. You know, Zach Himson, you can, you can start to refer to him as yeah. uh, just, just now, now hopefully the, the play follows that this year. Yeah, pronouns him, himothy. That's that's what I'm <laughs> doing for for Wilson. Um, but but back to back to football. I mean, like I said, I I really don't know what to say for Zach Wilson. Like, if there's any stat you use to evaluate quarterbacks that's like meaningful, he shows up last or like in the bottom three. EPA, success rate, uh, PFF grade. I mean, you name it. Like, and I, I understand like epa might be a little misleading here because he was he wasn't in a great situation i mean after Corey davis went down the injury i mean at the end of the year is kind of throwing like braxton barrios and stuff but like even before that he wasn't performing well and i he took his lumps he had his good he had his a couple solid games like the game against the bucks i thought he performed very well um but overall i mean he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year and I think Jets are a little bit optimistic, which, you know, they have every right to be after having a pretty strong offseason. Um, but this is kind of a big year for him, especially with all the weapons they surrounded him with and adding um, Lake and Tomlinson to the offensive line and, uh, you know, getting Garrett Wilson in the draft, uh, CJ Ozama. Like, I'm not saying he doesn't have excuses because, like, things could go wrong still, but he's in a situation now where, like, he has to like, kind of has to succeed and playing in, in New York, obviously there's added pressure there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, you hit all my, all my main points there. I don't, I don't, I think he was, he was awful last year, negative 14% accuracy rate over expected. Um, so, you know, lowest, lowest, uh, rate, you know, lowest measure on that is that since I've been running that metric, uh, for the past couple of years, um, but I was curious, so 
if if Zach Wilson plays, let's say about what he did last year, maybe maybe a little bit better because the supporting cast is better. So he's still like a bottom ten, bottom five quarterback in the league. What are you doing as the Jets? Like, what what's your plan from there? Are you are you rolling him out in year three? Or are you trying to do everything you can to get a new quarterback in there? You, I think you have to roll him out one more year. Um, you know, the the biggest quarterback developments take place between years one and two and two and three. So I think you know, you're hoping for a Josh Allen type uh, career uh, progression is is kind of um it's not smart because he was kind of like an outlier in, in all the data for every like every type of quarterback data there is um but he is under a cost controlled contract like for Wilson you don't need him to jump from being last to first or top three you just need him to be league average for you to even like make the playoffs because they have a a pretty solid team to where if he's average they could sneak into the playoffs as a nine and eight team or something so, you know, hope it, and even in year three, if he's average, that's fine. Like that's probably like a playoff team, obviously in the chase Super Bowls, but um, he has, he has uh, a good team around him to where he just needs to be average. So I wouldn't give up on him after year two, simply because you just, I, I really don't know what the next best alternative is. Could just be a bridge quarterback, but then you're just, you're pushing the, the quarterback decision further down the, the further down the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. I, I I think I'd do the same thing there. Um, okay, so we both have the the twenty twenty two quarterbacks uh, in our bottom three. Uh, just rapid fire. What what, what were your, the ways that you ordered them? Yeah. Um. In terms of like just how I see them performing next year, I have I have Pickett, Ritter, and then Willis. Um, you know, Pickett probably the most pro ready of the three, and he's in a pretty solid situation with decent pass catchers and Deontay Johnson and and Claypool. With Ritter, I don't know if he's going to play at all. Same thing with Willis. And, I, I mean, the, the tight end's pass catchers are not very good. So I don't think you'll have a lot of success year one. And with the Ritter, I mean, Falcons might be the worst team in the league last next year. So to really don't know how that's, how that's going to play out for Ritter or even if he gets any starting time over Mariota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I had, I had flipped. I had, I had Willis, Pickett, and then Ritter. I just I just want to lean into that that um, – you know, right tail outcome for, for Willis yeah. next year. I think, I think, I think like Pickett's, Pickett's pocket presence was, was really bad, Um, you know, at, at Pitt and, you know, they, they had like, you know, a better supporting cast than most, la- most teams that they were going up against last year. Cause they were a good team. Uh, You're going to play, a, he's, he's playing against a bad offensive line in Pittsburgh. You know, I don't, I don't think it would go well for him, but if, if Malik Willis and Derek Henry were, were in the same backfield, like, like doing the type of stuff that, that you can do there in Tennessee, I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch and, and would work out better than, than some of the other rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. And like you said, like Ritter, Ritter doesn't really have uh, much of a chance this year, even if he plays, but um, what I was going to say was Josh Hermsmeyer was on Kevin Cole's podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he had a really interesting point about how, you know, no one, no one has really found the Holy grail for projecting college to pro quarterbacks. Like the stats don't do it. The film doesn't do it. You know, there's so much uncertainty about these quarterbacks and like, there's most more certainty about other positions. Like he, he had me thinking like, you know, everyone's low on the 2022 quarterback class, but you know, since, since we haven't been good at evaluating quarterbacks, like maybe two of these guys do end up being like starters in the league that are like, you know, above average or whatever. Like it's just, it's just hard to, to kind of gauge, um, you know, where, where quarterbacks are going to end up, but, you know, as long as they all get opportunities, I'm, I'm curious to see how they do, but yeah, no, this is, this is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we, we were able to, to kind of had some, some differences that we shelled out and then a lot of, a lot of similarities as usual. 
uh, we'll we'll jump into our interview with Ben Solak, who who will do a great job of of talking about these quarterbacks more. We are now joined by Benjamin Solak, formerly of the Draft Network and currently at The Ringer, where he pumps out great content on the site and also contributes on The Ringer NFL Show podcast. Ben, how's it going? I'm well, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Ben, I, I remember. So one of the things we like to do is uh, talk about how we were introduced to our guests or one of our favorite things about them. So I was I remember I was first introduced to you last year before the 2021 draft. And as all the hype was around the quarterbacks, then I was always reading your contextualizing quarterbacks articles for uh, the draft network at the time. You know, now that we're a year into the 2021 draft class, is there anything about the quarterbacks that have surprised you or how they kind of all played up to how you expected them to play your, their rookie year? The first thing I love that. Cause I'm like, y'all we're like every single person in this space. I'm like, yo, I read you guys like three years ago. You know what I mean? Like, cause like we're young, right? Like we were, we were all just like consuming this content and like kind of like for on the periphery of it just a few years ago in our, in our memory. And so I got to start doing that where we have people on, I'm like, Hey, by the way, that thing you wrote in 2018, that was fire. Um, because that's like how I, how I met these people. Um, nobody told me Davis Mills was going to be okay. Uh, I thought that was, I, I would have told you coming out last year, that Davis Mills, did not have it. Uh, there was like, you know, I remember like Dane had a tweet where Dane was like, Davis Mills is the most accurate intermediate thrower in this class. And I was like, absolutely, he is not. And then it turns out we should be listening to Dane and not me uh, as often as possible. It's Dane Brugler of The Athletic. Uh, so I, I was surprised by Mills, certainly. I think Mac acclimated faster than I thought he was going to. I thought Mac was going to take a little bit more time uh, to settle in but largely did look about where I thought he would, especially down the back half of the year. I think that you started to see the limitations that Mac's going to bring to that offense. I thought Mac acclimated a little bit faster. I certainly think that like Lawrence and fields acclimated a little bit slower than I would have hoped, but at the same time, our ability, our perception of how rookie quarterbacks should onboard has been just woefully skewed by Herbert and Mahomes, right? Like it's not supposed to look like that. And then those guys get their first games, whether it's like Mahomes, you know, like that, that one game at the end of his rookie season or Herbert, like after Tyrod Taylor got stabbed and they're just lights out and they never stop being lights out. And that makes us feel sometimes like that's how the starting quarterbacks should be like the early drafted guys. And that really just isn't true over the course of years. Like Lamar is another guy who kind of, I think kind of threw those, those uh, perceptions off a little bit. And so while, I was hoping for and certainly thought that Lawrence and Fields had the capacity to like walk on the field and immediately dominate. Neither one did. And that was probably an unfair expectation for me to put on them. So Mills was surprising. Mac was a little bit surprising. Wilson about where I thought he'd be Lance about where I thought he'd be. I still have a lot of faith in both Fields and Lawrence. It was just right. They had their rookie lumps the way we should expect rookie human beings to do. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I kind of feel that way with, with a lot of the rookie quarterbacks too, but so it's glad to hear here, you kind of reiterate those points, but uh, my, my favorite article of yours was like on the evolution of the McVeigh and Shanahan offenses. And, you know, when that, when that article came out, I read through it and I'm like, I sent it to so many people who are like, who I talk football with. I'm like, you have to read this. Like, this is a great piece. Like check it out. Um, very kind. I yeah. recently reread it because I'm doing like a whole like work on my work and like, re- you know, I like, kind of like review and introspection thing. And man, I hated that article so much. When I wrote it, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever written. And then I read it now four months later in the summer. I was like, this is horrible. But that's just kind of what it's like to kind of do this job a little bit. You're just really, hey, just you're nitpicking all those words and everything. So I'm glad that people like it. It's important for me to hear that because right now I, I have a bad relationship with that article. 
Yeah, no, it was it was great. I mean, you know, if it, I maybe you'll update it after we uh, we see Trey Lance this year if he plays for the 49ers, which was what I was wondering. Like, if you were Kyle Shanahan, would you start Trey Lance or Jimmy G Week One, and then what kind of would be your plan from there with with those both of those quarterbacks? I would I would start Trey Lance. Uh, I firmly believe that developing quarterbacks without playing them does not exist in most cases again i brought up Mahomes, and it's a little bit of like an exception that proves the rule thing but in general you know we always have this conversation like should you start a quarterback should you sit a quarterback and it's like well what do you think the guy needs people learn in different ways and i think we've seen over time that the majority of quarterbacks and this is intuitive relative to the people that become quarterbacks they learn by like trying things they learn by going out there and playing quarterback making a mistake, trying to execute, making an incredible play, scramble fourth and 10, yada, yada, and then dumb first and 10 throw. And it's up and it's down and it's a roller coaster. And you have the Justin Fields game against the, the Brown, uh, the Steelers. And then you have the Justin Fields game against like the Packers and the Vikings, right? Like you just have these like big ups and downs, right? When you look at a player like Lance, and this is me reading from the outside, right? With the perspective that I can, I would presume a guy with one year of starting experience at the college level, and it was at the FCS level, is simply just going to need to play football to get better at football. Like you can, he can, you can sit him and he can get a little better. You can show him what uh, preparing habits look like, right? He can go behind Jimmy, who by all accounts, like a really good locker room quarterback, a really good Monday to Saturday quarterback, learn some of those habits. You can put him in, in, in training camp and give him a whole year to really learn the playbook. And that's going to be to his benefit. But for this guy to become what you wanted him to become, for this guy to become that Donovan McNabb, Dante Culpepper, Colin Kaepernick, you know, comparison that he gets, you got to put him on the field. You got to let him be bad for a little bit. You got to let him have a really good game in week four and a really bad game in week five and ride that out. And this is the time to make that decision, right? Do it in week one. Don't do it in week eight when you're already two and five, number one. And number two, when you make the decision, Jimmy can't be in the locker room because these guys love Jimmy. They've known him for years. Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, they love Jimmy. Uh, offensive line, they love Jimmy. Jimmy's an awesome guy who they're really big fans of in San Francisco. That rookie roller coaster is going to have a valley. It's going to be a two, three-game stretch where Lance don't look good, and he loses you football games. And if Jimmy's sitting there, baby, burning the bench, QB2, that locker room's going to start, start to want to see Jimmy because they want to win games. They want to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think you've got to start Lance, and you got to get Jimmy out of the building. If they had some of the offers that it was reported they had, they had like a second on the table for Jimmy and they didn't take it. They painted themselves into a bad corner here. I don't think that's good roster management, but then again, good roster, bad, bad roster management and Kyle Shanahan is a little bit uh, hand in hand at this point. So <laughs> I would start Lance and I hope they do. I think it'll be to his benefit. Yeah, that, that's a great answer. I'm, I am really curious to see what the Niners do with Jimmy. And if they did pass up a second round pick, it, it's probably gone by now. It's probably like a day three pick. Um, you know, transitioning into the 2020 draft class, you know, we, we both know you wrote for Bleeding Green, Na Green Nation for a little bit, talking about the Eagles. As an Eagles fan, like, what do you think the Eagles should do with Jalen Hurts? And like, at what price range is he worth bringing back for a second contract to where his contract isn't inhibiting the team from improving elsewhere? Great question. Uh, I don't, I think, first, let's say this, the Philadelphia Eagles have made it clear via their behavior uh, since Jalen Hurts took over the starting job from Carson Wentz that they are willing to see 
what a Jalen Hurts led offense can look like, but they are not holding their breath that, they, that it is a playoff offense, that it is a, a league dominant offense. That is the offense that they want to kind of saddle this wagon to uh, as what month is it? July as recently as three months ago, this team was waiting to see if a trade was necessary to maybe bring a different quarterback to Philadelphia. And while we love the AJ Brown trade, right. And we, we love Jalen Hurts. Like, like this is always peak Jalen Hurts time because it's fantasy time. And the fantasy community loves Jalen Hurts because he runs the football, he scores rushing touchdowns. This is while, while like all this is great and exciting. The Eagles have been telling you since Hurts became the starter that they don't want to hitch the wagon to him on a second contract. They're fine with being proven wrong. They just don't think they want to be there. The last game we saw Hurts play was the wild card game against the Bucks. I have not seen. <laughs> Such a disrespectful defensive game plan in a playoff game in a, in a couple of years, man. Just in terms of like 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 the Bucks just were not scared of the Eagles throwing the football. You can't walk into a playoff game and have that be true of your offense and expect to win the game. Uh, so they they bring in AJ Brown. It's going to help Jalen Hurts maybe throw it over the middle of the field more. They're going to see if they can create kind of a more varied, diverse, mature passing menu for Jalen Hurts. But I don't think that they are expecting that to become viable so what quarterback contract do you want to give hurts the first Tannehill contract like the first Kirk Cousins contract right talking about like I don't remember what percentage of the cap it was at the time but this was still like high 20s low 30s I don't know if you're getting away with that anymore man I mean the way the quarterback contracts balloon I think it's a really tough ask to get to get a deal like that done unless you're doing like you think about that first Kirk deal, right? Uh, 84 over three, right? So 27 per 27, 28 per whatever. Uh, and, and the whole thing was guaranteed that maybe, but even then, I don't think you want to be there having seen what happened to the Vikings where they went through that deal and then felt like they were in position cap wise, where they had to go borrow some money from next year and change the contract a little bit and then give Kirk an extension and so on and so forth. You got to think about the, the, the future you're writing for yourself, not just two years down the road, but three, five and 10 years down the road. I don't think they extend it. Barring hurts having a year that I don't anticipate him having as a passer of the football in 2022. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be really interesting to see what like an organization like the Eagles does with the situation because you know like the the vikings are more okay with being like in the middle of the road and, and staying relevant but you know howie roseman wants wants to compete for for championships and he makes moves that way so it'll be it'll be really cool to uh to see how they approach that when it comes to that um but you know earlier in the episode we were we were talking about hertz and we we're also ranking like the other quarterbacks in the league that are either in their first second or third year so kind of like all the young quarterbacks and me and Arjun both had Justin Herbert as our number one quarterback. What are some of the things that you've seen him do that you think makes him so special and like someone that can, you know, really take over the league here in the next couple of years? Yeah. Uh, I, it's a good, good football player, Justin Herbert, man. Um, my co-host on for the ringer show, Steven, Steven Ruiz, uh, likes to say all the time that like he's big breeds, like he is big, strong arm, run around breeze, which is just like, that's quarterback in a lab nonsense. That's not real. Right. That's, that's been fiction for years because when you have the physical ability that Justin Herbert does in terms of running, breaking tackles in the pocket and throwing the ball wherever you want on the field because of your arm strength, you don't become an elite processor because you don't have to. And it's hard to do that. Right. Like it's very hard. 
took like Drew Brees a long time, right? It takes Peyton Manning, Tom Brady a long time, Aaron Rodgers to become so academic. So, so, so have such great anticipation, have such unbelievable processing and instincts, right? Just kind of that like subconscious understanding of what a defense is going to do, how a wide receiver is going to break. It takes so long to do that, that all of these quarterbacks who are built like Herbert, Allen, Mahomes, whatever, don't end up playing that way and don't end up developing that processing ability because it's just the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Just be an alien. And then you're winning games. Like it's, this is the easier route. You were gifted this athleticism by God, just run with it. Mahomes and Allen and, and Rogers also goes in this bucket a little bit, develop their own intuition. They develop their own processing in terms of seeing the field while they're on the run and, and, and knowing how scramble drills are going to develop and how to throw across their body. But it's different than that, like breeze processing, Brady processing, Manning processing. Right. So for Herbert to straddle this line is largely inexplicable. Right. And if Herbert were a dude who liked to talk to the media, it would be amazing. Cause it'd be like, Hey, what, where where'd this come from man what the frick is this but he doesn't really talk to anybody and that's going to be one of the great mysteries of him over the next few years is going to be how did a guy with this second reaction ability with this imp- improvisational ability become so good processing right like nate tice has the clip on his timeline of uh, uh herbert throwing the sit route uh over the middle of the field to the back with like, I think I think it's like smash on both sides, like mirrored smash. Like so, it was like seven cut from number two, cut off from number one, and then the back goes just sit over the ball, and like nobody ever throws that route. It's like in the progression, but it's not freaking in the progression. And Herbert does for Austin Eckler for a touchdown between two linebackers, and it's like how who who told you you could do that, man? So that there there's he's um he's a very interesting blend of of of, of development and play style. Like when he makes his mistakes, he's trying to be perfect from a processing perspective, one to two to three rhythm, your feet, rhythm, the timing. Oh, I forget who had the report, but a large part of why Keenan Allen got like more targets after the buy in the second half of the season is because they had to tell Herbert like, Hey, just chill. Like, like you don't have to run the progression perfectly with perfect timing. Every time that's Keenan Allen as your number one, you can let him like get open and then just throw it to him. Cause he's Keenan Allen. Like you don't need it. Like, all right, one to two, to three, bang, 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 bang. Like just, just throw it to Keenan. It's going to be cool. So like he's, he's got like a little bit of a perfectionist to him. That's so surprising for a guy who also has his physical toolkit. So he is a uh, uh, really just, just a very interesting and fascinating player. Watching Herbert over the next few years is going to be so, so, so very fun. Yeah, Ben, I love that answer. And uh, yeah. you know, the, the kind of like, he's kind of like robotic in a sense. And my favorite part was like when the Chargers social media made that like anime schedule release and like they had him in Mahomes as mechs I think that like honestly is like almost like a perfect uh representation of him um you know transitioning into the rookie class from this year do you think that Kenny Pickett was the right choice for the Steelers over Malik Willis or any of the other quarterbacks like do you think them chasing a safe floor NFL ready prospect was better than someone who had maybe a little bit more upside like a Malik Willis no it sucks man um (laughs) What I was, I was just talking with somebody about like Tua and the dolphins and kind of their expectations. Um, and I was the, the, the Tua conversation around like Tua versus Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert. And that class is, I think, analogous to the, the Kenny Pickett conversation that we'll have around like Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter and some of these other guys where it's okay. Forget who you think is going to hit and who you think is going to bust. Forget like where you have guys ranked. If they hit, 
what do they give you as opposed to like if they if they hit if they miss what percentage do we have on that like who do we like the most who's our who's our psychology team whatever let's say they all hit who do you want who's who's going to give you the offense that you want who's going to give you the advantage that you want because if Pickett hits he hits in the like Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan family. You can even say he like really, really, really hits. And he's in like the Tom Brady family of just like unbelievable pocket management. Like let's say he hits, he hits like Joe Burrow does. Unbelievable pocket management, crazy moxie, awesome pre-snap recognition, always gives his receivers a chance to win the ball. That that's That's the family of quarterback he ends up in. Cool. If Malik Willis hits, you just got a quarterback in the Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. And then again, like, Jalen Hurts family, right? There's, there's, there's ways that like, you know, like this family, like even if it hits, like, isn't that amazing? But if he hits, what, what family do you want to end up in? What bucket of quarterback play do you want to end up in? Because when I look at the league, I want my quarterback to end up somewhere in that second bucket. Even ideally, like let's again, like let's take Malik Wilson, really, really, really make him hit. And he ends up in the Josh Allen family where it's just like, Hey, I can never be tackled because I'm freaking enormous. Malik is like a thick dude, right? He's short, but he's like, he's built like a running back. He's hard to tackle. And then I can throw it wherever I want, whenever I want. That is universe breaking. It is world breaking. It is fundamentally changing the way that we think about coverage and penalties and routes and everything. As opposed to if picket hits, you have like Matt Ryan, very good quarterback. Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, great quarterback. Not fundamentally changing the way football works. And when you look at a lot of the quarterback draft misses in the early rounds of the 2010s. It's because people were chasing Brady's Mannings and breezes. That was the prototype and people wanted to get after it. And I think that they discovered that it is really, really, really hard to find that sort of quarterback and to have him hit and to have him work at that level. And when he hits, it isn't even that much worth it relative to Russell Wilson in the third round hitting and just like, all right, we're throwing it deep. We're making stuff up as we go, but baby, when it, when it hits, we win championships because this can't be stopped by a defense. This can't be stopped by a pressure package. This can't really be stopped by any, you know, means or machinations known to man at this time. So, okay. We thought Pickett was better than Willis. Great. But I don't think if Pickett hits, you get what you wanted out of a first round quarterback hitting. And I think that if Willis hits, even if that's a narrower outcome, it's a lower percentage chance of it happening you're getting what you paid for in terms of a first round quarterback placing you in a contending window for the next five, 10 years. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that. And like, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how, you know, it, it's a copycat league and like a lot of teams just try to emulate what's been working. But, you know, when, when you stray from that and, and you can kind of go chase like the right tail of quarterbacks, it can, can really benefit you in the long run. Um, and so like with, with that, like with, with kind of like how you have your draft priors, like with Willis and Pickett and Ritter from this past year and, you know, kind of the draft priors that you had, um, you know, in other quarterback classes, like how, how long do you usually try to hold on to those? Like once quarterbacks are in the league, like, for example, like how much leeway does Trevor Lawrence get who he wasn't bad last year, but he wasn't good at it, You know, if he continues playing at, at the level that he was last year. Yeah. So it's funny. I got, I think it was when I wrote, I wrote a Zach Wilson piece. And then some Jets fan was like, you didn't like Zach Wilson coming out of BYU. And that's the only reason why you don't like him now. And that just all your draft priors. And my answer was like, yeah, like that's kind of how that works a little bit yeah. in the sense that like how I feel about a player is kind of how I feel about a player relative to like play style. Right. And like, like 
you know, like what do they offer you in terms of like the way that they play and the way they work and like what their tools are. And for like Lawrence as, as, as the, the guy in the question that you, you asked like explicitly Tej, the player that I saw at Clemson was an incredibly good quarterback prospect. I didn't, I was never really like, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, the two great gods of quarterback. Like I was never like fully there, but like Lawrence was a really, really good prospect. Then he went to Jacksonville where like things were going on generally between like the head coach and all of the players and the general manager and the owner. And he didn't look good. And it's like, okay, if this was all the data I had, I'd be less gung ho, but it's not all the data I have. I saw what he did at Clemson for multiple years. And because I saw what he did at Clemson for multiple years, I can now go and watch the Jacksonville film, like in terms of the chronology of his development and say, all right, here's mistakes that he made where I can go back to Clemson and understand how he was getting away with this. Like a lot of the interceptions are him trying windows that when he was facing Wake Forest were dropped interceptions or were PBUs or just straight misses by linebackers who didn't know how to play with their backs turned. And then a lot of the hits that he's making, I'm like, holy smokes. Like this is, I, I, I remember this from the Clemson film. I remember these throws to, to spots 25 yards down the field against the sideline, against the back pylon, against the closing safety and this precision accuracy and this loping stride and this vision for rushers that you can't teach. Like I, I, I've seen all this before. So like, you know, priors updating is such a nerd question. It's like, how do you update your priors? Whatever. <laughs> for me, like I try to understand how a player works. What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? How do you do what you do? Ranking you is a moving target that is extremely difficult to hit. And accordingly, like doesn't really interest me. Like two years ago, we were all trying to figure out if Ryan Tannehill was a top 10 quarterback. And now we're all trying to figure out how fast the Titans can move on from Ryan Tannehill. And the reality is that how Tannehill plays hasn't really changed. It's just Corey Davis left. The offensive line got a little bit worse. Arthur Smith's gone. Now it's Todd Downing. And now the margins are a lot smaller. Derrick Henry's injured for eight games. And the, the way that it manifests itself in terms of playoff results, wins, losses, yardage, total EPA, success rate, whatever stat you want to use, whatever framework you want to use, the way it manifests itself in a ranking changes. And so for me, like my priors don't so much update as the way that like the changing factors around a quarterback address just how high this guy can hit his ceiling or how low he can hit his floor. Like the only, the, like in terms of players who, on whom my priors have like changed drastically, it's like Josh Allen because Allen went from being like self-admittedly horrible at Wyoming to obviously amazing now. And everybody's like, yo, how did this go ha- happen? You know what I mean? Like that, that sort of development, like legitimate development, he is more accurate. He is smarter. Here's a better decision maker than he was. That really rarely happens. What actually happens is just within a quarterback spectrum of, of outcomes relative to his play style, he's either built around well or not well. And that kind of changes just how good he looks or how bad he looks over time. Uh, and so, like, I don't know if that's a very, like, nihilist answer. Like, we actually can't measure anything and nothing is real and all quarterbacks are equally good and bad and whatever. But, like, for me, as, as just, like, a watcher of football and a trier of understanding a filmer, that's what I, you know, that, that's how I think about players. It's just, like, like what is your play style? What range of outcomes does that kind of dictate for you? And how can we build around this to make you as successful as possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that answer. I love, I love talking about, you know, range of outcomes because, you know, a player, you know, people like to just like put them at their mean all the time, but, you know, some players have wider range of outcomes, some players have narrower. And I think, I think that's a great way to to think about it, but Hey, like, this is, this is a lot of fun to to talk to you today. Um, You know, here's, here's a, a, a last question, kind of a fun one that, 
that we like to do at the end here. So uh, we were talking before we we started recording here about you know some of the stories you've shared on the Ringer NFL show. And one of them that I distinctly remember is you said during the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl, you ended up having to, you took your shirt off in front of your entire family. I just, I'm just wondering what's the backstory behind that? How did the, the shirt Listen, off? How did it go back on? I, um, for whatever reason, it's just, I don't know. When I get excited and I get like, like the games are very high stress and I tend to be a very like, uh, kind of emotional, outward facing, out, out, extroverted watcher of football, I get, hot and sweaty and so i usually i think i began with a hoodie was wearing an eagles hoodie at the time and then over time the hoodie is just gone right like i think i remember why we told the story is because i we we were recapping bill's chiefs and during bill's chiefs i lost like two layers during that game man because it's just it was cold it was january in michigan and then as the game got better and better I got more and more active and subsequently needed fewer and fewer layers. It's a body temperature homeostasis thing. Um, and I don't really consciously choose to be stripping during games. It just inevitably happens as I get excited. Um, and so I don't know if that's a healthy instinct to have, but it's one that I have and it's one that I bear with pride. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a great story. And I know me and Tage are both emotional football watchers also, and we watch a lot of games together. So you can definitely understand that. Um, again, you know, really want to thank you for coming on. For our listeners, you can find Ben's work, or you can find Ben on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. Um, find his work at theringer.com. Listen to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you find your, your podcast with Stephen Ruiz and Kevin Clark. Um, ben, is there anything else you want to plug before we let you go? uh no sorry for calling you guys nerds (laughs) updating priors (laughs) yeah but no thank you thank you again to ben for have uh coming on the show and you know we'll catch you next time now joining the podcast is senior data scientist at pro football focus and one of our colleagues timo riske Timo is one of the best folks for football analytics out there and is my personal favorite author to read on uh, football analytics. Timo, how are you doing today? Hi, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. I can't wait to talk a little bit about football with you guys. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for coming on. You know, we're we're both big fans of your work, um, and you know, I've I've read all of your stuff for for a while now, and you know, something that you researched and wrote that kind of like changed the way I thought about the draft was the piece that you had on how in the draft, like when, when a team reaches for a player, um, it, it usually ends up being a reach based on how that player ends up performing in the NFL. But when a team gets like, you know, something that's labeled as a steal, uh, that player doesn't actually be or using, isn't usually actually a steal for that team because of wisdom of the crowd and different factors like that. So, you know, I was wondering in this, Past year's draft with all the discourse about the quarterbacks and everything, did you see any of the quarterbacks drafted too early or too late that could have been binned in one of those labels? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So I think let's let's quickly talk about Kenny Pickett, the Kenny Pickett pick. So obviously the Steelers needed a quarterback and um yeah, and they, they decided to pick one with the first round pick. And that I think that definitely was the, the right decision. Was it was it the right decision to 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 select Kenny Pickett? Like uh, I don't know, but um and yeah, it was definitely right to 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 take a shot at him. Um 
like, like when you compare to the Jordan Love pick, he was picked at 25th or so, and the Packers didn't even need, uh, didn't even have a pressing quarterback need, and, and they took a shot at him, which which is fine. Um, so yeah, take, taking a shot at Kenny Pickett at this spot is, is totally fine. If they, if they had him higher than the other quarterbacks, which is obviously the case, um, then then I think that's that's pretty much fine. Yeah, it, it, I think it gets interesting, and this is where the discourse really started, is, is, is Desmond Ritter, Malik Rillis, and Matt Corral who get selected uh, not earlier than the third round. And I think it was like mid of the third or even end of the third round but when Desmond Ritter went off the board. But but I think like looking at these three picks in the light of the Steels versus Weeches research is really difficult because they they didn't really fall independently of each other. Like it's it's not a situation um, where where a player has a character concern or or uh, or an injury concern, some 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 yeah some off issue, some medical issue that we the public don't know about, and and we put him high on the on the consensus big board. As, as, as draft analysts, but, but then the teams actually know more than we do. So they let him slide. And then um, then someone selects him at some point and we, we consider it a steal. Then, then this the steal versus reaches research pops in and says, okay, the teams probably knew something that we didn't know. No, that's that's why he's probably not as much of a steal as we, uh, than we think. But but for these three quarterbacks, yeah, it, there, there was kind of a dynamic, right? It, it wasn't that the teams knew something we didn't know. It's just that um, I think like they, they, nobody wanted to be the the idiot who who makes the first move on these and and gets it wrong, right? Like if the Falcons the Falcons select Desmond Ritter, so they they made the decision between Ritter, Willis, Corral, and I think I think every GM kind of knew that these three quarterbacks are kind of viewed the roughly the same by by most teams. And yeah, and, and just nobody wants to to make the first move because like if Wither fails and, and, and Corel or Willis are actually good, then the Falcons GM will always be the, the idiot who made the first move and, and, and mess it up. And yeah. So, so after Wither went off the clock, then the other, then the other teams were like, okay, now, now we, we don't have to select the, uh, yeah, we, the, the burden of selecting the best of, of this group is not on us. So let's just take a chance. On, on Willis, let's just take a chance at Corral, and then then it was fine. So so I'm not sure we can really apply the steals versus reaches research here because there was yeah such a strong dynamic that that led to to them falling. I think it's it's not the classical uh, the team knew something we didn't situation. So um, yeah, I think overall they they went a little bit too late when you look at the opportunity cost, um, like. Like I like, I'd like to compare to the Jalen Hurts pick in 2020. Um, he who went in the in the mid of the second round, and like Jalen Hurts was like 71st on the consensus big pot at that point. Maybe teams had him a little bit higher. Obviously, the, the Eagles did. Um, but yeah, Willard Carell, uh, Willard and Carell were in the 40s on this consensus big pot. Willis was even in the 20s. But I think it became pretty obvious that the teams were a little bit lower on Willis than than the public was. So, um, so that's fine, um, but yeah, but, but given that um, Kevin Cole wrote an article about about the opportunity cost um, of of not selecting Jalen Hurts at, at this point, uh, like it was something in the forties, I think, in twenty twenty draft, and and he came to the conclusion that the upside of Jalen Hurts is 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 much higher than the than the opportunity cost. And this was like the mid of the second round, so. So the, the the twenty yeah the, the twenty players that got selected before Desmond Ritter like ten or fifteen of them will be an afterthought uh, three years from now, 
So the opportunity cost of 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 passing on these players is really low enough to 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 make the bet on on Desmond Ritter or on Malik Willis or on, on Matt Corral, whoever you like most, um, at this point, like in the sixties or seventies of the draft. So so yeah, I found it a little bit late. So but yeah. That's that's how the the draft worked this year. I think it was really interesting to see this because I, I, I'm not sure it's something we we've seen in, in recent years before. So yeah, it was really really interesting. Yeah, this was a it was a very interesting draft for sure, and and that was a that was definitely a great answer to to Tage's question. Um, you know, as I said in your intro, you have to be one of my favorite authors to read, and you know, one of my favorite articles that you've you write every year is your Bayesian forecasting on rookie quarterbacks. Um, I know you already updated your article to uh, talk about the 2021 rookie quarterbacks. I was wondering, can you walk us through that process and some of the findings that you had from that article and how it applied to 2021 draft quarterbacks? Yeah. So, so, so basically um, the, this article about, about rookie quarterbacks I wrote like, looked looked at it from three different angles i think so the, the first angle was just like basically the uncertainty angle i think so so basically bayesian forecasting is a technique to to adjust for sample size and to give us instead of give, giving us a, a mean projection like give us a range of outcomes and the range of outcomes is the higher um the the lower is the sample size of course so so basically yeah Basically, Bayesian forecasting is all about adjusting for for sample size. Like, like I don't know when when you, when you when you got a when you got a dice and and you've never seen that dice in your life, and then you roll it and you end up on six tries in a row. Then then you you don't think anything. Like you you don't you you don't get suspicious. But when you repeat this like ten times in a row and you still get get a, get all these sixes, then you think okay something is something's wrong with this dice, right? And then and it's it's the same for quarterbacks in the NFL. Like like when a quarterback scores a touchdown on his first ever pass in the NFL. This doesn't mean that he's the best quarterback uh, quarterback in the league or the best quarterback to ever play, but when a quarterback throws a touchdown on 10% of his plays over the first two seasons, then he's probably got a pretty pretty good quarterback. So so yeah, it's, it's all about adjusting for sample size and and, and that's really the, the, the base and forecasting part of it. So And yeah, and of course, the result of this is that the range of outcomes for rookie is generally really high, uh, really large after the first year because like, the sample size is, is usually low and um, the the surroundings are usually not ideal like most most good quarterbacks come to bad teams um, in, in the NFL though so the surroundings are not not ideal so um, yeah quarterbacks obviously develop so so usually like the the, the strength of um, Bayesian forecasting is basically to find the true skill of a, of a player um, after after a certain sample size. But the problem is, of course, a rookie doesn't uh, have a true skill uh, yet because he will still develop. So his true skill will kind of kind of change over over the years. So this this makes it even 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 more difficult. And this is um, this is the reason why the range of outcomes is, is pretty large. And then the the other angle. Um, I, I looked at was um, like how how does the draft prior play into this, um, and yeah, basically the 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 main findings that after the first year, um, your your draft prior should should probably be um, still still very strong. So so if if you like the quarterback coming out, you shouldn't give up on him after one year, and um, 
yeah, if, if a quarterback surprised you positively, that, that that's of course a good thing. But but yeah, you, you still still have to still have to be mindful whether whether he can can really repeat this. And the the the, the third angle I looked at is basically the um, so every usually not I mean not every quarterback, but on average, or most quarterbacks get better after the after the rookie year, which um, which is probably. Like it's it's probably a mixture of the quarterback getting more experienced, getting better, which is of course he develops, uh, but also I guess the supporting cast often gets better after the rookie season because like often, like teams are often terrible. Like teams are even terrible when they select a, a, a quarterback high in the draft because they had a very high pick and then they're probably terrible, um, or they had to invest a lot of that they, they might not be terrible, but they had to invest a lot of resources, draft picks to, to get this quarterback um, because they had to trade up. And then they might not be a terrible team, but they don't really have the resources to immediately um, get the players that, that can that can support this quarterback best because they, they don't have any draft picks left uh, or not much cap space left. So, yeah, so ge- generally, I think the, the supporting cast in, in second and third years gets gets also better of for quarterbacks and that's why that yeah that's why quarterbacks just produce better in the in the in the second year and what what I try to do is I try to kind of um, pre- predict or see if we can like get an idea uh, which which quarterbacks get gets more better than than others like like some of of course some quarterbacks get 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 only a little bit better some quarterbacks don't get better at all some quarterbacks just stagnate after the first year and some quarterbacks really make a jump and, and what what i try to do is like if, if there's if there are some key indicators in in the first year um which which could show us that that a quarterback will 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 make a larger jump than we would usually accept and accept and, and what what i found is that like like I don't know, I, I would maybe headline it with like being being bold, making mistakes, um, is actually is actually something which um, if 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 rookies had that, um, and if if they still kind of succeeded um, while making mistakes, while making mistakes, while while being bold and, and still still had a fairly okay rookie season, and this seems to be kind of a sign for for actually having the opportunity to break out. And th- this was actually like this research was um, um, the the moment I started believing in, in Justin Herbert. Like like uh, I don't know. Like during during the, his first year, I was like, yeah, it's it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of fluky. It might be fluky what he does. A lot of lot of big plays, a lot of production under pressure. Um, yeah, stuff stuff like this, and also like some some mistakes. Um, and I, I kind of thought, yeah, I guess the, the mistakes stay, but but the, the fluky stuff goes away. But the, yeah, then I looked at this research and, and it's a, um, thought, like, okay, actually, Herbert really fits this fits this mold of of quarterbacks who who might become better after even better after the first year because of how he got his production in the, in the first year. And um, yeah, that, that's why why I, I thought that the, the 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 fluky stuff that might go away in the second year. Um, and some of it also, of course, went away. Um, but, but yeah, he could he could kind of mitigate this with with uh, what he got better at. So this is why his second year wasn't worse than his than his first year. I think this was pretty interesting to see. Yeah, I know that, that's a great answer. And you know, quickly to um, you know just make a quick remark on that. Like one of our someone I follow on Twitter, Robbie Greer, he. 
he had a really cool like table showing that like teams kind of like really improve in the quarterback's third and, and fourth year of their rookie deal, not only on offense, but on defense as well, showing, you know, quarterback development, but also the, the idea that teams kind of push their chips all in in that third or fourth yeah. year. So start investing more resources in the offensive line and receiver saw that with, with the Cardinals last year and kind of saw how the Chargers and Bengals approached this off season. And, you know, speaking of the, the Chargers and Bengals, we got a really interesting article come out today. We know we're recording this on, on Monday. So the NFL executives article ranking quarterbacks just came out and they put Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert. And in your opinion, if the Bengals were to do a redraft of 2020, do you think Burrow should go number one overall or does Herbert, should Herbert be the pick given that he could probably maximize their Super Bowl window longer than after his rookie deal? Yeah. So I mean, I, I think I kind of flipped my opinion on this over over time um, a few times. So basically, in, in the rookie season, like even yeah, even after Burrow got injured, got injured at some point, I think it was like week ten or eleven. I, I still thought like the Bengals did their did the right thing uh, to to select Burrow, and yeah, and then then at the end, yeah, basically last off season or it's the start of last season, I, I was pretty sure that that Herbert is is um, is a lot better than Burrow, and Burrow obviously had a strong finish to 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 last season in the regular season. So I think it became a little bit closer, but but overall, I, I think Herbert is, is the better quarterback in the make room. So um, generally, I think he answered most of the questions which Burrow didn't yet. So basically, I don't know, like put put pressure on Herbert, he he still thrives. Like cover his receiver tightly he still thrives like play too high against him. He still thrives. So basically all the question that you can ask a quarterback to, to answer. And he, he basically answered them all over the first two years. And, and I think Burrow has, has yet to answer some of them. Obviously he has yet to answer how to avoid Zags efficiently, which is definitely one of his problem. And the Bengals really struggled against too high, which is like the prevalent defense nowadays. And it will become even more the prevalent defense especially against the Bengals um, next year, I think with, with, yeah, because defenses will be scared of Jamar Chase, obviously. Um, so yeah, when, when defense took away the big place to chase with, against too high, the, the Bengals offense really struggled. They, they ranked um, 19th in the NFL against, against too high defenses. Um, yeah. So yeah, they, they, they were really dependent on, on big plays. So um, yeah, they, they they have to show that they can be consistent. Bobo has to show that they can they, they can be consistent. Um, so when you when you just look at like when you when you forget for kind of forget about big plays, but just look at how consistently did they move the stick. So basically how um, how many of their of their series were converted to to another series of first downs. Then they also ranked seventeenth in this stat, which is in their their roughly league average, while the Chargers ranked uh, ranked second behind only the Chiefs. Um, so yeah, I think that Herbert is just more consistent, and and he has shown that he can thrive against different coverages. Um, um, he can thrive against pressure. He can yeah, he can just make make all the throws. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting when um, when when teams stack more more too high defenses against against the Bengals. So Burrow Burrow has to test uh, to to pass some tests um, next next year, I think. Um, and yeah, I think the, the playoff run is a little bit overrated. Um, 
like it, it was great for the Bengals, of course, to to to, to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, they, they almost won it. It was really close. But um, like it's it's not that that Burrow carried them. I mean, the, the the defense was the better unit in the in, in the playoffs for the Bengals. Like the, the defense showed up against the Raiders when they had to. Defense showed up against the Titans when they had to. They they obviously showed up against the Chiefs in the second half. Um, and yeah, they, they, they didn't show up in this one drive against the Rams, or in these two drives against the Rams. So that's the yeah, end. That, that was enough to, to beat the Bengals. So um, yeah, they, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I just um, don't think that 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 Burrow yet passed all the tests. And like obviously, like you could point to to um, Herbert having the better pass protection. Um, which is which is of course definitely true. Like the pass protection for the Bengals was good, and, and for for Herbert it was it was better after they invested in in in, um, in, uh, in the offensive tackle position, which was of course really smart of them. Um, but but I think Burrow clearly had the better receivers. Like like um, I've, I've studied our our new old coverage data recently and evaluated receivers in in terms of route running. That is like how often do they win their route. Um, and have give, give their computer a quarterback an opportunity for a valuable throw. And the Bengals receivers and tight ends as a, as a unit ranked 10th in the league in that. Um, and like this, this doesn't even include the value they brought after the catch. Because like the, the 49ers generate only the 49ers generate, generate more yards after the catch per reception than the Bengals. Um, and yeah, of course, we know that uh, the 49ers uh, yeah, do that probably every year because because Shanahan is so, so good at designing this. But uh, yeah, whether the Bengals can repeat this, um, nobody knows. Um, yeah, and, and the Chargers, meanwhile, ranked 26th in the same stats. So the, um, yeah, so I mean, Keenan Allen is slowing down a bit. He, he's older than 30 now, I think. Uh, Mike Williams never was a good route runner. Like the, the best route runner of the Chargers might be um, Austin Eckler, which is which is never a good thing for a receiving core when, when your best route runner is your is your running back. So um, yeah, and yeah, and, and yet Herbert produced, of course, a lot more EPA per play and, and made the most valuable throws in the league. Um, compared to Burrow, and and that that's just a year after he set rookie records in 2020, and his receivers ranked 25th in the same start in 2020, and his offensive line was not good in 2020. Like it became better in 2021, but in, in 2020 he kind of had not not a perfect, like not a very good receiving core. Um, um, yeah, not not a good offensive line, and, and he was a rookie, and he still still was very good. So I, I just think I don't know Herbert Herbert passed. Passed more tests than Burrow at, at, at this point, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, Burrow has more to prove. I think even three, he already already made it to the Super Bowl, and Herbert didn't even make it to the playoffs. But that's that's not what what really counts for me. I think. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the uh, in depth response, Timo. Um, you know, before we let you go, we always like to ask a fun question to our guests. So. You know, we have to bring it back. Like, I personally thought the Cooper Cup, Hunter Renfro analogy you sent out was pretty funny. I didn't even think it was that far off, especially the, uh, the you know, the Rams paid Cup to be, like, or the, the Raiders paid Renfro to be, like, 60 or 70% of the player that Cup was. Like, I didn't think that was that far off. Um, You know, seeing the response that the tweet generated, do you stand by the tweet or do you regret sending it out? So... I mean, most importantly, I would never regret a tweet about football. So <laughs> it's it's supposed to be fun, right? 
And I mean, the, this this tweet was definitely exaggerated on purpose. So so overall, I think um, where I stand, especially that the Wenfro contract is probably overall the better value for the team, because it's like yeah, what you said, like sixty percent of the of the price or so. Um, and yeah, basically, I, I stretched that formulation to run it at best, <laughs> which was like they have the same receiver. And because it, like it was June, I think the, the draft was far away and, and, and so was football season. And I had some fun with that. And so, yeah, basically, Cubs signed one day. I think it was June. It was last month. And Renfro signed, I think, the next day. So they, they signed on consecutive days. So that's, of course, they both got significant deals, obviously. So that's that's the reason I compared that. Like, uh, yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. As you said, like, like I, I don't think it's, like the, the comparison, it I, th I think it makes a little bit of sense. So they are used in similar way, same elements, same same routes. Both are more quick than fast. Like obviously, Cobb is stronger. Um, he's used a little bit more on on, on vertical routes than than Renfro so far, um, and he definitely generates more production um, of the, uh, after the catch. So is that McWay? Is that Cobb? It's probably a mix of both. I don't know. Um, but yeah, when you when you just look at the production after the first three years, um, it's actually pretty similar. Like like obviously, Cup had this had this huge season um, right now uh, last year, which was year five, and, and Renfro didn't even make it to to year five. So I mean, it's very unlikely that Renfro will ever have a season like Cup just had because that like even even yeah even the best receivers in the game uh, never never had a season like like Hub had from a statistical standpoint. So, so he will, of course, not repeat this. But yeah, after after the first three years, their, their production is actually very similar. And yeah, some, some of their trades also uh, also match up. Like both excel at the catch point in a very consistent way. So very few drops. Um, yeah, they're very consistent, very reliable. So yeah, so I think it makes some sense to um, to, to compare them. Of, of course, Cobb is... Cup is the better receiver as of now, um, but but yeah, but who knows how things would look like if they if they completely swap roles? I don't know, and and like one thing, um, I I I want to point out about this, like we shouldn't forget that like I think PFF, so basically the yeah we we rank we rank like players going into the season at, at, at every position um, every summer, so every off season. We, it's basically ranking season. I think we ranked Cup as the 30th best receiver going into last season, and nobody better than I, right? Like I, 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 I actually searched for the searched for the tweet um, which 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 presented this. Uh, here we ranked wide receivers article, and I, I don't I don't think I found a comment where someone said uh, Cup is too low. You ranked him 30. That's that's idiotic, right? And then then one year later, after of course he had a great season. Um, like, like, yeah, he's he's ranked as the best receiver in the league by many. So, so it, it's it's so yeah, it's it's this, this weird recent recent bias, and we are we are we are reacting very strongly to like super superficial information um, instead of really I don't know trying to trying to see what's going on. So, so Cap is a great receiver, but but obviously um, he get yeah he, he gets a lot of help from. From from Sean McRae, I think he gets schemed against linebackers more often than, than other receivers in the league. Um, and and I mean, like I I wouldn't want to rank Cap as as the like top five receivers in the league in the sense of um, whether other teams wanted to 
want to trade for him or wanted to spend for him as much as they actually spend for Devonta Adams or Tyreek Hill. I don't think that, um, yeah, I don't think that the Raiders or the, um, the Dolphins would have spent that much for, for Cup than they spent for Hill and, and Adams. Like, yeah, I, I think they are, um, they, they are more valuable after all because they, they dictate coverages more than, than Cup does. And, and I think the, the Vikings wouldn't, wouldn't swap Jesse Jefferson for him. The Bengals wouldn't swap Jetima Chase for him. Um, because yeah, I think these are more more, more game changers than, than than Cooper Cup. So um, I think the yeah the, the conversation about Cup is, is a little bit filled with recency bias um, overall. Like like he's a, he's a great receiver, obviously, but um, yeah, I I wouldn't put put him in the, in the in the in the top five or even like I I saw lists that that had him as the, the best receiver in the game, and I don't think that's 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 too accurate. So um, yeah, like like overall, like Cap definitely is, is the better receiver over over Wenfrey right now. But um, yeah, so ba- basically, I wanted to I don't know uh, had some fun with the trade, and uh, but yeah, th- there was some truth to it in the sense that um, we, we should be aware of the fact that, that there's much more uncertainty in play evaluation than we probably think, and like a general rule of thumb is often to. I don't know to fade the 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 most extreme recent success. Um, um, so yeah, so so basically fading fading someone who just had the, the statistically best uh, season ever for a wide receiver, if you depending on how you look at it, um, is sounds stupid, but it's probably smart against the the high expectation that that everyone has for him now because it's like impossible that he will. Uh, repeat this i mean if he does this will be crazy like i, I would eat my words but uh, I, I don't think this is this is repeatable like this this was crazy mm-hmm. yeah i know definitely definitely like the recency bias point and where you have comp in your wide receiver rankings i think i think that's that's a good place to have him um but yeah that's that's all the questions we had for today we we really appreciate you coming on this is a lot of fun to, to talk to you so for all the listeners out there be sure to follow timo at pff underscore moo and check out his work on pff.com. Thanks, Timo. Thanks for having me. This was, this was fun. So now it's time for our, our weekly bet of the week. So, Tage, um, this is going to be the first team we fade on this podcast. And it is going to be the Chicago Bears. And we are taking their under six and a half wins. Um, it's a little bit juiced to the under. It's it's minus one twenty five on a lot of books, and for good reason. This Bears team is is really bad. So here's the way I would approach this bet. It's minus one twenty five, so that means you bet one hundred twenty five to win hundred. Assuming you know your unit size is a hundred, uh, one unit is a hundred dollars for people. I would put one point two five units to win one on under six and a half. But I would also go to some alternate lines. So you can find this on Caesars under five and a half at plus 180. So you could do either um, you can bet to win 0.5 units or you could put 0.5 units to win 0.9 units on this under five and a half to, uh, at plus 180. And I could see both of these bets hitting because, again, this Bears team is not good. Justin Fields 
last year we, we just finished our segment on this like statistically he was pretty bad i know we're still holding on to a little bit of draft priors for him being super accurate in, in college but like listen to the receivers he's throwing to byron pringle darnell mooney rookie velus jones jr equinemius st brown they just traded for Nikhil harry i mean and cole commit's fine and all but like that receiving core might be the worst in the nfl and if I'm not mistaken, Byron Pringle already got like arrested this offseason for something for and and they're playing and they have a new offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, you know, first time calling plays for him in, in the NFL, who just came over from the Packers. So you have all of these things kind of going against the Bears on offense. And then on defense, they were just in cell mode. They traded Killer Mack. They let Akeem Hicks walk. Pretty much the only uh, they have two good players on their defense, in my opinion, Roquan Smith and Jalen Johnson. I really like Robert Quinn, but he's getting up there in age. And last year he had a, an amazing season, but he's you know, he's pretty old. So, you know, we don't really know how far the drop he's going to regress a little bit. And so the drop off might be big. It might be little. We don't really know that. And judging by how how the Bears are in like a sell mode instead of a win now mode, they could be trading Robert Quinn as soon as tomorrow. So. You know, I'm with them being sellers. The other edge players on their team is Travis Gibson and Al-Quadin Muhammad. And then their other corners are rookie Kyler Gordon and rookie corners generally struggle a lot in the NFL and Thomas Graham Jr. So, again, not a lot of things to like about this Bears roster. Kind of the only saving grace is they have a pretty easy schedule. They have like one of the like a top seven easiest schedule in the NFL using um, win totals as a proxy to like measure strength of the schedule. But I really don't like this Bears team at all. And I know, you know, we're friends with Brad Spielberger, so he might not like this bet if, if he's listening to this. But but that's my bet of the week. Bears under six and a half, minus 125, 0.5 units, uh, under five and a half, plus 180. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, yeah, I, I, I like how you specifically gave the units to, to give the alternate line too. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only the only way that I could see the Bears going over is with Velas Jones, you know, up there in age. This could be like his retirement tour year, you know, as his, as his rookie season. But aside from that, like this team is really bad, uh, you know, bottom 10 offensive line, no wide receiver one or wide receiver two. I think that would really be on the other team, you know, even though Mooney isn't isn't that bad. Like there's just no receiving options. And then that. Yeah, like you mentioned, all the all the pieces have gone away on defense. So. I don't see the bears really competing this year. Um, and it's just, it's just tough to, for fields to, to, you know, have an opportunity to do that. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. Um, okay. So I actually have two unhinged tweets of the week uh, this week. Um, so the first one is from Brett Coleman, uh, which, you know, I just want to preface it by like saying like Brett Coleman does awesome work on his YouTube channel, you know, really helped me get like a rudimentary understanding of film back when I was in high school. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know about this, this opinion from Brett. So he said, I know that the AFC West is the default answer for best division in the league, but the more I dig into it, I think the AFC East is right there too. The West has more alien quarterbacks, obviously, but I think the East has better rosters overall, pretty close call. (laughs) Um, I, I don't, I don't, this is like, this is very, like, I don't see this at all. Like, like the, the, the AFC West is like insane roster wise and quarterback wise, like the, you know, the, the best tight end in the league and Travis Kelsey resides there. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are great receiver duos. The Chargers have beefed up their offensive line. The Chiefs have beefed up their offensive line. 
the Broncos, you know, the whole reason why they wanted to get a quarterback was because their supporting cast was that good. And then the Raiders uh, are going to have Derek Carr throwing to Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller this year, which is insane. And then the Chargers defense should be pretty good. Uh, the Broncos defense, you know, with Sertain and Justin Simmons is, is going to be good and everything too. The, the AFC East has the Jets, who might be one of the worst teams in football this year. The Patriots roster is not good at all. The corners that Belichick is rolling out, he's going to have to make, you know, a lot of his usual magic happen for them to even play at an average level this year. Um, and then the Dolphins too, like the, the Dolphins, like their offensive line might be the, the worst in the league. So, you know, you just have the Bills there who are probably better than every team in the AFC West, but it's close with them and the Chiefs and the Chargers. Those are like the top three th teams in the AFC. The rest of the AFC East doesn't even compare with the AFC West. Like, I don't even, I don't know what, what Brett was thinking when he sent this out. Yeah, all four AFC West teams have higher odds to win the Super Bowl than the Dolphins, Patriots, and, and Jets. Like, I think the Raiders are tied with the Dolphins at like plus 2,000 or 20 to 1. Um, but but yeah, like every single team in the AFC West has a higher has higher odds to win the Super Bowl than the, the worst three teams from the AFC East. And like, I mean, I, I can understand the idea that like the Dolphins roster and, and the Jets roster aren't that bad. I mean, they, they both definitely have weaknesses on on offense and defense or I think the, the, the Dolphins offense got a little bit better. Um, cause I don't, I actually don't think their offensive line is that bad. I think they're going from like worst to like, maybe like fringe bottom 10, um, which is you know, kind of an upgrade cause they signed Tron Armstead and, and Connor Williams. But, um, but yeah, I agree. I, I don't know how you make the statement and then couple that with the fact that like every single quarterback from the AFC West is like a top 12 quarterback and or top 13. And you have three quarterbacks in the AFC East that are like average below average so i mean i don't i don't really understand that one yeah <laughs> yeah no uh, yeah i i definitely agree um second unhinged tweet of the week uh was from annie agar <laughs> who did she just posted a picture of zach wilson looking at his phone and she said zach wilson whenever a mom texts him which come on annie that, that's this is not funny at all like, like this is the most basic joke that you can make like that's like saying like Oh, like um, Gronk reminds me of a of a you know a frat guy who lived in my hall in college or something like that. Like 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 anyone can say that. Like the Zach Wilson jokes were really funny uh, this past week, but that one was just a complete miss. I thought, um, and you know, I I even think that Annie Agar because of her her Zoom call videos where she like reenacted the Big Ten or whatever, she might have caused conference realignment because people were like, all right we can't, we can't have these videos anymore of, of her. Like we, she probably doesn't have a USC Jersey. So like, let's just, let's just move USC to the big 10 to, to make sure these videos stop getting made. So. Yeah. I, I actually saw that um, yesterday, the, the Zach Wilson one. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of good memes, a lot of bad ones. My favorite one was the, was Trevor Sikkim was one where he showed Zach Wilson as, as Billy from stranger things mm -hmm. talking to Mike's mom. Um, so uh, but yeah, that, that's a, that, those are two pretty good unhinged tweets for this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that, that was a great one. Yeah, it was, I always think about that scene in stranger things when Billy first walks out and all the moms are kind of laying there and they're, they're all like, all right, showtime. And they, they <laughs> put this on like, that's, that's what Zach Wilson's going to be like now. But, um, yeah, this, this is a lot of fun, fun to, to talk about these, these quarterbacks and especially Zach Wilson today. Um, you know, we really appreciate Ben Solak and Timo Riske for, for joining us. 
Until next week, I take the point. Oh, 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 o